Welcome, everyone, to the first regular season episode of Chirps for 2021. And it was off to a bang with an opening day in Cincinnati that had us all really excited about the offense that may be part of the 2021 story for the St. Louis Cardinals. And then it got a little fuzzy from there. So we'll talk all about that, all about the opening week and the fireworks that were not because of all those runs scored in the first game, but rather because of the next chapter of the Cincinnati Reds versus St. Louis Cardinals uh, debacle, however you want to title it. Tara and Alex back with you as per usual this week. Alex, baseball officially back this week and no shortage of entertainment and stories to follow in the first week for the Cardinals, even if they're not all as ideal as we might have hoped. Right, you said last week you were having a hard time getting back into it. Did the did the uh, <laughs> aforementioned fireworks help uh, bring you right to the spot you need to be for a season kicking off? If nothing else, it did remind me why the Reds are the team that bother me more than anyone else in the National League. Just across the board, like the Cubs are the rival, and I get that, but there's a difference in the rival annoyance and just general annoyance. <laughs> of a team and a fan base and of the whole thing. And we'll get into it. But yes, I did feel much more engaged based on uh, the drama that took place in Cincinnati. Yeah, the Cubs rivalry is forever, but other rivalries will always come and go. My favorite rivalry will probably always be the one the Cardinals had with the Mets in the 80s. But, you know, in within the last 10 years, I think at some point we have had issues with every other team in the uh, NL Central. And that's probably not unique to every team in baseball that's at least somewhat competitive in terms of how what their relationship is like with their, uh, I guess, cellmates, uh, bunkmates, I don't know, whatever. <laughs> um, what is it about the Reds? What was it about the Reds before this? Because I used to live in Dayton, Ohio, and I had a roommate who was really, really pro-Reds and very, very, very anti-Cardinals. Like, before it was cool to be anti-Cardinals. He was, like, almost like a hipster anti-Cardinals <laughs> guy. Uh, so I remember back then just uh, – and I call him roommate. He's actually a, a good friend of mine. Uh, we – I did not like the Reds, mostly just because I was tired of listening to him. Uh, but it wasn't until the events of 2010 – where there were really, where, where anything really happened on field to make me feel that way. And then, you know, after 2012, we haven't really heard from them since. So I, they somehow fell back into, uh, ah, they're harmless category for me, for at least for a while, not anymore, obviously. But what is it about the Reds? It's super unfair because my problem with the Reds in general, stems from primarily some of the worst experiences I've had at a game with an opposing fan base. No, have well, been Reds fans. That's not unfair. That's totally. Fair. That's a le very legitimate it's, reason. It's, it's legitimate in terms of my own experience, yeah. but I, I feel like I don't want to categorize all Reds fans well, sure, as these horrible humans yeah. because that's what people try to do to Cardinals uh -huh. fans too, right? I don't want to. I don't want to do that. But I will say the most unenjoyable experiences I've had at a ballpark 
in St. Louis with the visiting fans were with Reds fans. Close second would be Brewers fans because they just got super obnoxious, but we were sitting in the bleachers. They were very drunk. It was a whole thing all on its own. But that's why I have just this instinct that, that like my, my antennas go up when anything happens with the Reds. Then of course the, the whole Brandon Phillips saga that continued for so long didn't help, but uh pause for a minute you remember th- when the brewers were public enemy number one because of the whole tony plush thing mm-hmm. yeah that, mm-hmm. <laughs> i remember that being like this huge thing emotional investment into this rivalry but that's how i feel about the reds all the time and in part it's because of some of the things that have happened on the field i get it but really it just stems from some bad experiences with reds fans <laughs> well when <laughs> Uh, several years ago when I was at Viva Alberto's, uh, a guy I knew um, was writing for Red Reporter, which was uh, the SB Nation Red site. And one time we were just like playfully tweeting at each other and someone kind of half kidding, but I mean, he was kidding, but kind of not. It was like a Viva Alberto's lifer says, whoa, 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 we don't, we don't converse with people at Red Reporter. <laughs> So there used to there used to be some real bad blood like blog wars, blog yeah, war like yeah. uh, but you know I, that those are long gone uh, from what I understand. Um, the the yeah the Reds were, have have been bad enough to where I I stopped having much of an opinion on them and I it helps that I I guess like Cincinnati in that area but yeah I'm. I, I am not mad at them again. And I, I think the good news is, you know, people probably feel like, ah, like we lost because we lost that third game and you know, we lost a rubber match. And like, no, we, we still play this team 16 times. And a, a, majority of these, a majority of those games are going to be in St. Louis. Um, so this is far from over. Uh, we can, and, and, you know, if we're lucky, we can expect even a few more uh, harmless dust-ups and, I mean, should we actually talk about, we should probably talk about what we are, why we're even talking about the Reds in the first place, I guess. Yeah, I feel like most people, if they have any even remote interest in baseball, <laughs> probably heard about it because after the, the suspension came out for Nick Castellanos, all of a sudden everyone nationally cared about this story when they probably didn't before. But to back up, there was a Nick Castellanos got hit by a pitch after he hit a home run in the first game. He got hit by a pitch, you know, three days later, whatever it was, took uh, an issue with it and then scored on a a wild pitch, stood up and, you know, freaked out at Jake Woodford who looked absolutely bewildered by the way. I would love if, if this was a video podcast, (laughs) I would love to just analyze each of the faces of the people (laughs) in the pictures from this scuffle, because but it, it, they're just there's so much there's so much to look at so much to take in uh jake woodford absolutely confused as to why this was happening and of course yadier molina being the uh pitcher protector that he is wasn't about to let that happen um and jumped up and you know said something to castellanos the Put, put, grabbed his shoulder, whatever. There was all kinds of things that happened. Then benches cleared, seemed to settle down. Then somehow, I still don't know exactly. Maybe you've heard, I have not, why Jordan Hicks was so mad. <laughs> but all of a sudden, there was a shot of Jordan Hicks uh, who looked like he was about to rip somebody's head off. And I was a little concerned for his safety and everyone else's. All because Nick Castellanos apparently thought that he got hit on purpose, which... Uh, mm. <laughs> nonetheless 
then there were disciplinary actions handed out, some fines, Yadier Molina, Jordan Hicks, I believe Nolan Arenado, and then Nick Castellanos was suspended for two games. Just in general, Alex, initial reactions to this, because Castellanos, like, he didn't have a whole lot to go on from last year to feel like he could be the tough guy against the Cardinals, and then to come into this series and all of a sudden feel like he has this uh, I, I don't know. It was very strange to me. And in regardless of anything that followed, as much as I'm the person that's like, yeah, flip your bat. Yeah, celebrate with your team. The whole standing up and flexing in his face, no, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not cool with yeah, that. Yeah, that's not... All right, so I'm operating from the standpoint that he was not hit on purpose because I don't think right. he was. I believe... I don't either. I believe... Schilt, I believe Wainwright, I believe everyone who was quoted after the game. Sometimes when a player is hit on purpose, they will deny it, but you can. it's almost like a wink denial. I don't think that's what's happening here. I think if they were going to hit him, there's a chance Jack Flaherty would have done it uh, the same game because he faced him again later that day with a decent enough lead, although, again, great American ballpark. Um, and we know Jack's not afraid to do <laughs> such a thing. <laughs> I believe them when they say we would not have had Jake Woodford in that position to do that. That's the biggest point for me is like, really, you're going to ask Jake Woodford to be the, I don't think so. So all that said, Castellanos was acting like a crazy person, (laughs) acting like an absolute jerk, which is okay because that happens when you're playing sports. But let's, let's review what he did. Like first he showed, up Woodford during the at-bat when he kind of held the ball. to him. But, you know, whatever, that was fine. And I think we were all of the understanding that he and Yadier Molina had a conversation and it seemed to be smoothed over that he asked Yadier, like, was that on purpose? And whatever Yadier said seemed to seemed to go over well. So then he, uh, you know, gets on base because of the wild pitch, eventually comes around to score. And... The way he stood over Woodford and just screamed right in his face, there's not a team in baseball, up to and including the one that Cassianos plays for, that would not have reacted the way the Cardinals did. In fact, I would have felt a little annoyed at Yadier Molina if he had not reacted the way he did, especially since it is... Jake Woodford being shown a, you know, a rookie who is like not having a very good game, like having a miserable game and a veteran is basically embarrassing him. Yeah. Every team in baseball would have reacted the same way. And if you don't agree with that, then you either haven't seen the whole series of events or you're only looking at it through a standpoint of, I do not like the Cardinals. Or I have this preconceived notion about the Cardinals. If last night when, uh, oh, oh gosh, uh, Roger, well, Marlon's pitcher last night was having an awful first inning. He, he eventually settled down, but he was having an awful first inning. Let's say those events play out, and at some point, Yadier Molina is standing over him at home plate, screaming in his face while the guy is literally and figuratively down. That would have been a terrible look. And I'm a Cardinals fan. You're a Cardinals fan. We are representing a Cardinals blog. We are not unbiased here. We are certainly biased. And 
I don't think what Cassianos did was like the worst thing in the world by any means. Do I think he should have been suspended? I don't know. Do I think he deserved the most punishment of everyone involved? Absolutely. Like, absolutely. <laughs> he was acting like a complete jerk. I don't know how no. else it can be viewed. I, I don't know how anyone sees this as, this is not someone hitting a home run and flipping a bat. This is not someone hitting a home run during a tense game and screaming, let's go at his dugout. This is not someone crossing home plate and doing like the trying to rile the fans up, the home fans like, you know, come on, let's go. This is him directly trying to embarrass a rookie. Again, a rookie. He's a veteran, a rookie at home plate. And the Cardinals reacted accordingly. And the reaction was harmless. You know, this these stakes aren't very high. Like nothing really happened. I keep seeing that. I saw someone say like Yadier Molina shoved Cassianos and then made contact with an umpire, which there may have been some indirect contact with an umpire, but am I the only one missing him shoving Cassianos? I've watched the replay a bunch of times. Cassianos's body doesn't even move when, now granted, had a bunch of people not stepped in between Yadier Molina and Cassianos, then I'm sure there would have been some sort of physical contact between the two that would have made Cassiano's body actually give a little <laughs> bit. But people acting like Yadier Molina was acting out of his mind are either watching something else or again, watching it with blinders on. I think about like either the summer of 05 or 06, you probably remember this, AJ Pruszynski and Michael Barrett in their, you know, crosstown Cubs White Sox series. AJ Pruszynski's running home crashes into uh, Michael Barrett at home plate, uh, a time when that was uh, not only allowed, um, but it was actually, um, you know, kind of encouraged. It was part of the culture, more of the culture of baseball. And in fact, I'd have to look at the replay. As far as I know, it was a legal play if, if uh, you know, depending on whether the ball brought Barrett into Pruszynski's path or whatever, I don't know. And then they both stand up and Pruszynski, and they kind of like, because Brzezinski's tr- trying to go back to his dugout, if I recall, he kind of brushes into Barrett. And Barrett punched him in the face. Um, meaning what Brzezinski did was way less than what Cassianos did on Saturday. And Michael Barrett, by some, by some Cubs fans, is still like, a, a, I don't know, legends probably, not the right <laughs> word, but he's still held, held in very high regard because he punched A.J. Pruszynski in the face. Now, granted, a lot of us, a lot of people have wanted at some point to punch A.J. Pruszynski in the face, and when presented with a decent opportunity, maybe you should take it because you never know when it will rise again, so maybe that's what Barrett was thinking. But make no mistake about it, Yadier Molina didn't punch anyone. He didn't shove anyone. He didn't do anything other than say, like, you are you are not going to treat my teammate that way. You are not going to treat a rookie that way, or you are going to deal with us. And again, every single other team would have reacted the exact same way. And that's fine. It's fine. These are very low stakes. Nothing harmless. Like, nothing happened. Like, this is not a case of a 99-mile-per-hour fastball being thrown at someone's head. Or this is not a case of someone getting punched in the face you know it was a kind of macho standoff um and that's basically it and because it's harmless because the stakes are so low i think if you're a fan of the reds or if you're a fan of the cardinals 
that should pretty much dictate where you fall on this whole thing. And that's fine. You know, if, if you're like Derek Gould or C. Trent Rose Cranzen, you know, that's a bit of a different story when you have to be a little more, you have to be a little more unbiased, you know, because you, you're a beat reporter and you're not supposed to kind of get in the muck with people like us. But if you're like a blogger, whether it's Red Reporter or Viva Alberto's or our site, like, yeah, go ahead and say like why, why we're right and they're wrong. And that's totally fine because again, it was, the whole situation was harmless. And even though I am just admitting I'm biased, Cassianos was acting like a madman and he, he started it all and he deserves the most of the scrutiny, even though that's not going to happen. Well, I have a theory about that and it's mostly because it's Yadier Molina. Like if it was anyone else, I don't think this would be the story that it is, but because people have such instant and strong opinions about Yadier Molina, I think that's in large part why this has turned into what it has turned into. Uh, a couple of things that I was thinking while you were, you were talking about that and explaining that situation. Uh, one, <laughs> I got a kick out of the, the uh, Reds, TV guys who were talking about how Jake Woodford landed on Cassianos at the plate <laughs> as if a guy sliding into him wasn't the reason for that. It, it's like, did you think he tried to fall on him at the plate? Was a I don't think that was premeditated. Play. He didn't jump from like <laughs> yes. a top rope and, and like, no, it was, it was a like Cassianos's slide was fine and Woodford yeah. falling on him was fine. Cause that's what happens in that situation. It's what happens when you take a guy out yeah. at the, it just, so I was amused by that. Oh, you landed right on top of him and while he's sitting on okay that's just all how it happened none of that was none of that was intentional none of there was no problem with any of that um i I think that i kept seeing people who were trying to compare the cassiano's reaction to other sports okay in the nba this happens all the time or this happens all in the NFL, that's a penalty for taunting, right? Like there are there are individual penalties in other sports for that kind of reaction that is directed to the opponent. That you can't do that. Like it's not just a thing that's okay in other sports. And if I can interrupt real quick, yeah. If it were to lead to an altercation where both sides run onto the field and are fighting, then you will get suspended. Right. And that's the other piece of this is the suspension. And I've I've seen a lot of people debating, oh, why did Cassianos get suspended when Yadier Molina didn't because he jumped him, whatever. There, I've seen it uh, shared a couple of times and I tweeted it out yesterday. There's a very specific description in the 2021 health and safety protocols because of COVID that essentially say, if you start it, you're going to get suspended. <laughs> and that's it. Like, it's not... It's not hard to figure out why Cassianos got hit with a suspension in this instance. Now, if COVID wasn't a part of this, if those health and safety protocols didn't exist, do I think he gets a suspension? No, he probably gets fined just like everybody else for whatever the you know normal world version of, hey, don't get in fights is in their, in their handbook. But it's entirely because of those very specific COVID rules that they don't want guys screaming in each other's faces at close distance right now. So the whole debate sort of on a national level about should he or shouldn't he have been suspended is pointless because it's very clearly outlined in the rules that we don't want people starting things that are going to lead to benches clearing brawls. Now, I think there's some room in that to say the benches probably didn't clear if Yachty didn't jump up and get in his face. Okay, fine. Like, I think like you, 
any team was going to have a reaction like that. So I, I, I think the, the instigating of the event was still Cassiano screaming at Jake Woodford. So that's why he's the one that's getting hit with the suspension that he'll appeal. And who knows if they'll follow through with the rules that they all agreed to. But this debate about, oh, it's ridiculous that he's getting suspended. This is why people don't like the game. Why are we? It just, it's ignoring the reason for the suspension in the first place. So it's a very disingenuous argument because the entire point of the suspension is, hey, COVID rules, you can't do that. Yeah, I, I, there aren't a bunch of kids sitting around saying like, can you believe Castellanos got suspended? Let's go play basketball <laughs> instead. Like that, no one, I, I know we've, gone over the top with this like grow the game stuff and how do we appeal the game to kids um this is a non-factor when it comes to that this has and it should be like who cares i'm almost getting tired of hearing about that all that stuff anyway and i I guess to what you just said the wiggle room would be whether or not you think cassianos is the one who started it right Um, and that's why i said well i'm operating from the the assumption that he was not hit on purpose uh, because I, I truly believe that. And if you believe that, then Cassiano's absolutely started it. And unless you want to have a system where you can do anything you want to up until touching someone, like you can absolutely just like get in a guy's face as close as you want and say whatever you want and try to humiliate them as much as possible and then the minute something happens, it's on the other person for reacting. I don't think that would be a very good system. I don't think any sport would think that would be a very good system. And that's why that is not the current system in place. And that's why Castellanos got dinged for it. Yeah. Yeah. It seems very obvious to me in terms of, <laughs> was it that big of a deal? No. Am I glad that Yachty defended his teammate? Yes. Do I feel the same way about Nolan Arenado coming in like a crazy person (laughs) ready to jump into whatever battle he needed to? Of course. And am I very amused by the fact that even Paul Goldschmidt seemed to be quite upset about it? The man who never shows emotion about anything? Yes, that's why I said there's so many pieces of the whole thing that are just fascinating to me to look at and explain and analyze and all of that. The whole thing, do I think Cassianos was being a jerk? Absolutely. Should he have been called out for it? Yes. Would I want a guy that plays on the team that I like doing that to some other rookie pitcher? No. But all of this about the suspension and, oh, why didn't Yachty get suspended and all these things, that part seems very black and white to me. So that isn't like the even the beginning of the thing that should be an argument between Reds fans and Cardinals fans or somehow national reporters who feel like they need to jump into the story as well. Yeah, I don't know what people think the Cardinals should have done after Cassianos <laughs> did that own play. But I, I think this is a very good episode so far because we're perfecting the art of asking a question than answering it. Do I right. think such and such should have done that? No. Do I blah, blah, blah? <laughs> yes. Do I such that? How I, you know. We've, we've, both done a, we've both done a masterful job so far at that. We're preparing for the inevitable solo episode where we just can interview <laughs> ourselves. <laughs> I think the next act, if history is any guide, is when the Cardinals are on the other end of this, whether it's uh, a Cardinal getting in someone's face and celebrating too much or whatever, 
the takes are going to be, oh, whoa, I thought the Cardinals didn't do this. I thought they objected mm-hmm. to this sort of behavior. Look at this. Isn't this interesting? Like, uh, blah, blah. like the way the, this plays out now is, is very predictable. Uh, no. So, and to be fair, there have been things, look, Yachty's the first guy I would point to to say, sometimes he does things that I'm like, oh, oh I, thought when, <laughs> I, don't know, I, thought, I don't know if that was totally necessary. But this is not that situation. Yeah, I thought when Flaherty hit Acuna in the 2019 NLDS, I thought that was totally out of line. It reminded me of when Matt Cain hit Matt Holiday in 2000, I Mm -hmm. think, 12. Uh, Game's out of hand. Uh, It's something that, yeah, it was just completely unnecessary. So I'm not always going to side with the Cardinals in in these little skirmishes, But this time... Absolutely. Uh, I, and I will I will not waver from this position, Tara. I agree. I'm with you. Uh, this might be more interesting if we had an actual debate instead of just <laughs> answering our own questions. But on this issue, we seem pretty uh, pretty unified in response, which isn't surprising to me at all. So, uh, the, uh, go ahead. Let me ask you one question real quick. So when say you're online, Twitter, whether it's like Twitter or like a baseball face, Facebook group or something like that, and everyone is basically saying like, the teams of the of the other twenty nineteen fans of the other twenty nineteen are basically saying like, "Ha ha, Cardinals are in the wrong," as they always do. Like, does that drive you up the wall, or have you just gotten used to it by now? I think more and more, I pay less and less attention. Yeah, me too. To what other people say online, and I think it's just better for my overall mental health. But there is a a point where, and look, I, I will say this: I'm less bothered by. <laughs> I don't know who all listens to this podcast, but some people might let it let it fly, this. Let, burn them. Uh, I'm less bothered by fans of other teams, and more bothered by professionals who cover the sport who can't get out of that path. Where whether it's the predictable response to anything Yadier Molina does, or it's the uninformed air quotes report about something that the Cardinals did or didn't do or the free flowing rumors that lead to some sort of chaos. We all know how that went with the COVID situation with the Cardinals last year and the whole casino thing that wasn't right. So I'm more bothered when it's professionals who who aren't there just to emotionally react to the game, Mm -hmm. but who are supposed to, actually have information and be a bit more reasonable and logical in the way that they see something that then continue to perpetuate some of the things that just simply aren't even true. And that will always bother me far more than just, you know, some guy in a Facebook group that thinks, you know, Yadier Molina is the worst thing to ever happen to baseball or whatever. (laughs) No, I agree. I, I feel the same way. So, you know, for all those professionals who listen to this podcast, hello, uh, you're welcome to join us to uh, to rebut that yeah, anytime. Game and if you have a problem with anything we just said, you're welcome to come on. We yeah, know, we know you're, we know you're listening. Yeah, well, it's it's your favorite podcast. <laughs> it's you know you've got it queued up. You're just waiting for it to. I post don't think Peter Gammons is the person you're talking about, but no, but th- there are there are many <laughs> who have made that same uh, that same impression. Nonetheless, okay, so the incident. <laughs> The Castellanos saga, all of the pieces of that played out. 
the baseball wasn't quite as exciting <laughs> in some cases for the rest of the opening week. Alex, are you concerned about the pitching that we talked about last week as a potential point of failure for this team? No more than I already was, just because I, I don't trust Great American Ballpark to tell us much of anything yeah. over the course of three games that opened the season. Uh, I think it was was it Edmonds talking last night on the broadcast, basically saying that at this point, the hitters are usually ahead of the pitchers anyway. Uh, so no, but I was, I was concerned even before the series um, about the pitching, not, not like gravely concerned, but it's, it, it's certainly something to point at and say, yeah, this could be a problem. And certainly nothing that happened during those three games would have felt you would have made you feel better. But I, I actually thought people were overreacting to, to what went down in those three games. That, that's just a weird place to play, man. And, you know, we've had seasons, you know, that, that, that 2012 uh, to 2000, whatever period I talked about earlier where the Reds were really bad. We had seasons where the Cardinals were really good and we would have major problems there. <laughs> yeah. There's at least one season in my head that's sticking out and maybe I'll go online later and figure out that I'm totally wrong, but no, I, I, I just, that's never a fun place to be. You know, it's, there's wild and crazy things happen there. Uh, Coors East, whatever you want to call it. I, I I remain where I was before the season even started when it comes to the pitching. Are you more surprised that Adam Wainwright didn't make it out of the third inning or that Daniel Ponce de Leon had the best start of the first week? So last week, what's it, did I say pitches into the fifth or pitches into the sixth when I gave the over-under on Ponce? Um, I think it was... I or think was it, it was into the... Or was it complete five I innings? think it was complete... I, I don't even well, remember. Okay. We'll have to go back and listen to it. <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't know. I guess I would have to say I'm more surprised by... I'm not overly surprised by either, but probably more surprised by Ponce de Leon. He, he faced 21 batters last night and only walked one. So that's a very good sign. Uh, it's also just one start and could mean nothing a couple of weeks from now. But I was pleasantly surprised. He gave us a solid solid five, which is what we needed. It's a solid five. That sounds so funny now. Like, gosh... <laughs> <laughs> you're a real workhorse if you can get through five innings these days, it seems like, at least with this pitching staff. Uh, but then the bullpen kind of finished that game in a way that I was like, oh, this is the bull- This is a small snapshot of the, the bullpen we we believe we have. And Alex Reyes looked, uh, looked fun at times. And, and he's going to give us a lot of anxiety in the ninth inning because he walks a fair share of guys. Um, so we can we can be ready for that but he he looked he looked good last night and as did you know Gallegos and Hicks and that was the most enjoyable game so far the four for me that's the type of baseball game I I like watching yeah I think there is with the concern that there is with guys like Ryan Helsley and the the feeling of inevitably Tyler Webb is gonna not be Tyler Webb (laughs) anymore and you know the results will match what we all somehow think of, of Tyler Webb as a pitcher. Uh, sorry, Tyler Webb, if you're also listening, uh, I think you're great. Um, but to see Reyes and Hicks and Gallegos, those guys look good. 
gives me a little bit of like, okay, <laughs> this the bullpen's going to stabilize. People are going to figure out their roles and how they slide into whether it's that very consistent Reyes is the closer kind of role or not. At least you know the guys who are supposed to be the the heavy hitters in that bullpen it's all still there and they can still get guys out. They can still, you know, be effective. And the bullpen collapse from earlier in the week is just hopefully a sign of, well, it's, it's early and guys aren't really rounded into form yet. I I do think Helsley is a bit of a concern. I think there's some reason to wonder how the pieces of the bullpen. I saw someone tweet uh, the other day that they didn't really, even at this point, know what the hierarchy is in the yeah, bullpen because I, of all the pieces that are there. I think that was VHS. I saw. I saw. That I think well. it was. Yeah. yeah, and I I read it and went. You know, it's <laughs> really fair because we don't know exactly how it's all all going to fit in, and and maybe that contributes to the little bit of unease as far as what we saw in the first week. But I think you're right. Pond's getting a great start like that for him. Not great in the term in terms of you know Clayton Kershaw complete game great start but no one expected that of him right so to see that from him to get a little bit of offense that gave them enough to kind of settle after that Cincinnati series I think was a a really good thing the the next stretch is going to be interesting they do come home on Thursday for the home opener and I will be curious I know Daniel Shopta sent me a, a link to some of what will be going on for the the opening day fanfare I didn't get a chance to look closely at all of it but it'll be nice to see some of that back and uh, you know there is an ongoing conversation about fans in the stands and how that's being handled and and what the safety measures of that are but Alex it makes a big difference hearing actual people in the stands watching baseball it, it makes a big difference. Uh, I noticed that during the Cincinnati series that even late in the game on Thursday, opening day, and I, I, I promise this is not a knock on Cincinnati fans, but it was, it was like eighth inning. The game had been taking forever. The weather was lousy. And the stadium looked appropriately filled for like just a no- for normal times when, when you're talking uh, <laughs> a, a game that's in those conditions has been taking forever and it's pretty much out of hand. There was still like, you know, pockets of people everywhere. If it had been a normal opening day, I'm sure it would have been even more filled. But what, what I've noticed is it only takes a few fans to actually provide a- real life, actual crowd noise. Uh, and that's, that's yeah. been very nice. And, you know, I I know people like to joke about Miami and stuff like that and their attendance, um, which, I mean, why would you support that franchise if you lived (laughs) there, you know, from years 2009 to up until last year? You know, so I I certainly don't blame anyone who doesn't want to fight that traffic and go to that ballpark. But that was a nice crowd last night that seemed about what you would want for, uh, you know, I'm, I'm not an expert on this stuff, but... Sounds like we don't want people in completely packed stadiums. And that was a good crowd. Yeah, I enjoyed, I I bet the players, and I've seen a few quotes from players talking about how much they love having the crowd there. And I'm sure they do. I, we talked last year how hard it must be for, for them to play in front of basically like how eerie that would be playing in front of an empty place. Like, who are you, who are we playing for? Obviously we play for our, ourselves we play for our next contract things like that but also it's nice to have people watching you know that gives you that extra rush and 
So I bet they just love having that back. And I, but I, yeah, I've noticed the same thing too. Just throw a few people in the stands and it makes all the difference in the world. Uh, a funny thing, real quick, I want to go back to Ponce de Leon real quick because I just thought about this. <laughs> One thing I like about him is last night's game had like this weird uh, 640 start time here on the, uh, if you live in Eastern Standard Time. And my wife was doing things for work. So I, I was uh, getting like kids ready for like uh, dinner and things like that. He takes enough time between pitches that you can like, I could like walk, a, watch a pitch and then like go over the table and like set some <laughs> things down and then like go back and catch the next pitch. Like it was, it was syncing up perfectly with the routine I had going at the time. And I appreciated it. I, I don't think many other people appreciate a pitcher who, who works slow and I usually don't either. But in that moment I did. It's funny because I always dreaded Dakota Hudson starts last year because he takes so long and it would always be like, all right, cool. To be clear, I didn't dread Dakota Hudson starts because I didn't enjoy watching him pitch or I didn't think he was capable or, you know, whatever. We, we saw some great things from Dakota Hudson. We saw some things that, you know, he had bad days like everybody does. But the only piece of that that I was like, oh, Dakota Hudson starting is that it would take like an hour and a half to get through three innings of Dakota Hudson pitching, especially if he was having trouble and there were runners on base. It was like he'd slow down even more. So I, I understand the sentiment completely where it's like, all right, I'm going to watch this one pitch and then I'm going to take the dog out and go for a little walk and come back and maybe miss one pitch. Um, yeah. That's nice when you need to do other things. Not so nice. <laughs> when you're actually just sitting there watching nothing happen for the majority of uh, of the half inning at least but um you know for for the sake of your schedule last night I'm glad Daniel Ponce de Leon was uh willing to oblige yeah. very helpful <laughs> what are you most interested in week two for the Cardinals before we jump into the chirp of the week what did you see from week one that you're most intrigued by heading into week two? I want to see the second start from all of Flaherty, Wainwright, and Carlos, see how they look in that second start. I want to see how the Tommy Edmond at leadoff experiment um, continues to go. So far, it's been, I, would, I think, fine is, a, is an appropriate term. And I think that, that those are the big things, I, I, I think. You know, I see how this outfield keeps going, keeping an eye on Justin Williams. You know, I know he's had a rough go of it so far, but that's, I would say that's mainly it. You know, it is nice that, uh, because over the weekend, I, I watched, I, I, Saturday and Sunday's games, I mostly listened to on the radio, but last night when Nolan Arnato comes up, it's still a reminder like, oh yeah, he's on our team. I'm going to, I'm going to sit down and really watch this at bat. Uh, so I, yeah. I'm, I'm sure I will continue continue to do that. Really focus on his at bats, and you know he's so far playing pretty well. Same with Goldschmidt, and you know the the heavy hitters that we want to come through pretty much have. And I would say that's pretty much it. Yeah, I agree. I think the the bullpen pieces are going to continue to be intriguing to me to see how that falls into place. I think that Paul DeYoung is an interesting part of the offensive mix we saw now in Cincinnati. 
he hits well. He obviously showed that. And I made note that I wasn't super comfortable with him in the cleanup spot. And then he played really well in the first series. So I'm interested to see if that continues to be a place where he is effective or if it was just one of the things that we've seen with Paul DeYoung where he is great for a little while and then he's real streaky for a little while and that cleanup spot becomes more of a liability than it is an advantage in that lineup. So that's one thing that I'll be uh, interested to see how it continues through the first part of the season. And yeah, more Nolan Arenado, please. More and more of that. That would be great. (laughs) Absolutely. We haven't seen uh, anything offensively that I think has anyone panicking in terms of, oh, this person that was supposed to be great has looked terrible. But we also haven't seen a whole lot of Matt Carpenter, which I believe is relevant to your trip of the week. It is. Uh, I think we just gave away the store that we talk before we record. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Everyone probably knew that. So Carp, uh, do we call him Carp or or, uh, I I, I usually call him Matt Carpenter because Chris Carpenter was always so on Carp that uh, feels a little funny. Matt Carpenter (laughs) had an at bat last night and I believe at one point he had the account at 3-1. And I started thinking, you know, clearly, I, 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 even now I still hesitate to say clearly, but I, I think it's fair to say his bat has eroded a little bit. Uh, but that batting eye is still there. And so I started thinking, like, I wonder how high of an on-base percentage he could have while having just an awful batting average. Uh, like like batting 125, but somehow have a 350 OBP. Um, and I was going to tweet out something like that because I thought he was going to take a walk, but then he struck out and looked pretty bad doing so. Um, so I, I just let it go. But then I started thinking later, well, I might as well look this up. Like what Cardinal, who are the Cardinals that have had, let's, and I, you know, batted below the Mendoza line but have still somehow managed to grind out a very solid on-base percentage. And so what I did is I started at 1947. So I you know, got all those old guys out of there. And I set the limit. This is on uh, Baseball References Stat Head. I set the limit at at least 100 plate appearances. And so I looked at Cardinals who did not exceed the Mendoza line. So batted 199 or worse. And then I sorted by on-base percentage. And I'm going to tell you who the top five are. Okay. Uh, number five is a man named Steve Hunts, who in 1969 for the Cardinals, in 166 plate appearances, he batted 194, but had a 325 uh, on-base percentage. Number four, Matt Carpenter, uh, <laughs> last season, he batted 186 in 169 plate appearances, but also had a 325 on base percentage. Number three, a gentleman I've never heard of uh, named Alan Nicely. And I'm surprised I've never heard of him because he was on the team in 1986 and had exactly 100 plate appearances, batted 195, and had a 330 on base percentage. Number two, Tommy Glaviano, 1951. He batted 183 in 133 plate appearances, but had a 356 on base percentage. He collected 26 walks uh, over the course of those 133 plate appearances. But number one, <laughs> number one from 1985, our old friend Mike Jorgensen, 
who batted 196 in 146 plate appearances, but had a 375 on base. He had almost a 22% walk rate for the season. He, again, 146 plate appearances, and he was somehow able, over those 146 plate appearances, he picked up 31 walks, but still only batted 196. And so I was kind of curious, like, I wonder where that ranks all time. And it's actually second, meaning all time across baseball starting in 1947 and not just with the Cardinals. And it's second. First is, and I apologize, I barely remember this player, so I apologize if I'm not pronouncing his name correctly, but John Jaha, who in the year 2000 for the A's, he, he came up to the plate. He had 133 plate appearances, batted 175 with a 398 on base percentage. What? So he, he almost had a 400 on base percentage while batting 175. Uh, 133 plate appearances. That's that's quite remarkable. So you remember how last year, or I guess it was two years ago, Tara, where I was like first trying to see if uh, was it Paul DeYoung could win the batting title? Yeah, yeah, I think so. And then it, and then like that quickly went away. And then so I was like, well, maybe Marcelo Zuna can you know have the most RBIs in the league, and that didn't happen either. So this year I'm following. Can Matt Carpenter <laughs> edge out Mike Jorgensen? Can he get at least 100 play appearances? Can he bat below 200? And can he get an on-base percentage above 375? Probably not. It's a pretty hard thing to do. And maybe it's not something I should be cheering for because that means Matt Carpenter is batting <laughs> you know, below the Mendoza <laughs> line. But it kind of seems like that might happen anyway. So we might as well cheer for him to really rack up those walks and get on base. There you go. I like it. I like it. And I will also say uh, your last two things to follow didn't end up happening. So maybe the way that this one will not end up happening Mm. is that Matt Carpenter suddenly lights it up and is great again. So I'm good with let's follow something and follow the trend of it (laughs) not happening, but maybe in a good way this time. We'll see. And if it does happen, then at least we have this to go back to. Yeah, yeah, good call. I, I know I, I, me and me alone will be uh, really keeping an eye on those stats. Uh, I do think that a uh, good friend of the podcast, Daniel Shapta, uh, loves keeping track of those things on your behalf. So if you uh, if you don't mention it in a couple of weeks, he's going to remind me to uh, to get an update on the Matt Carpenter situation. If the updates are worthwhile, I will be updating this every week. So we'll, we'll, we we'll, we'll keep an eye on. I think right now he's batting. Uh, he doesn't have a single hit. He's batting zero, but he has uh, two fifty on base percentage, meaning he's had four plate appearances and he's walked once. So. There you go. It's a start. It's a yeah, start. Yeah, if he had been able to get that walk last night, he would have a 500 uh, you know, on base, and that would have been much cooler for uh, the purpose of today's trip of the Come week. Come on, Matt but, Carpenter. Yeah, but, you know, <laughs> what can you do? Well, we'll see what he does this week. We'll see what the Cardinals do this week. Finishing up in Miami before they head home for the uh, much-anticipated home opener where they will face off against old friend Colton Wong. <laughs> leading off the home opener for the Brewers. Sad, sad day for me. Uh, But hopefully it will be a good day overall for the Cardinals and a good start to the next week of baseball. So thank you once again for all of you tuning in. Be sure to leave us a comment, review the podcast if you want. I'm told it lets other people find it as well. It helps the algorithm, as they say. The buzzword in in 2021 is that it it helps the algorithm. 
give our content to other people who might like it. I don't know. Uh, just tell us if, if you like what we had to say. Converse with us on Twitter and uh, listen again next week when we will be back with more Cardinals baseball to talk about. So for Alex, I'm Tara. We'll talk to you then. We'll be right back.